Thanks for being here today. Um, my name is Les Forsay. I'm a co-founder of Wave Financial. We're one of the uh, larger regulated asset managers um, uh, that primarily do crypto and blockchain. Uh, I started my career in the music business, so community has been something that's really special to me. Uh, I got involved in cryptocurrency in 2013. Uh, Bitcoin was uh, really high at 200 back then and I uh, was destined to try to find the next one and did the Ethereum pre-sale and many other pre-sales. I want to start off, we're so lucky to have all these people. These people are the core to NFTs, so it's really great that uh, Salt was open to, to let us do this and kind of let us do it our way. But why don't we start with introductions? Uh, hey guys, I'm Gimani. Uh, I'm a collector and investor in the NFT space. Um, I'm well known for uh, buying a CryptoPunk ape at the beginning of the year and forming a thesis around it that went viral on crypto Twitter and, and I've been pushing the space forward ever since. Hi everybody, my name is Eric, also known as Snowfro. Uh, I'm the founder of a NFT platform called Artblocks. Uh, I've been in the generative space for a long time, have been in the NFT space since claiming CryptoPunks in 2017, which is kind of the, at least for me, like the beginning of this. And, uh, yeah, crazy to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, everyone. I'm Justin Aversano. Um, I'm an artist, a nonprofit community art leader, and an art collector as well. And I'm excited and grateful to be here. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Noah Davis, and uh, I'm definitely the newest transplant to the NFT space on the stage. Uh, I joined in, in March when I sold the Beeple NFT at Christie's, where I'm a specialist in the contemporary department, now very very much focused exclusively on NFTs. Hey everyone, um, I'm Priyanka Desai. I work for a project called OpenLaw. Uh, OpenLaw has put together several different decentralized organizations, uh, including Flamingo, which is an NFT uh, DAO or collective of individuals that come together and purchase various NFTs, including digital art, collectibles, uh, you know, digital land in different metaverses, and invest in different NFT-related projects. Okay, so let's start with community, and I want to do this kind of free form instead of like calling on people, like jump in as it's a topic that might relate to you or be near and dear to your heart. So community has always been an important aspect um, in crypto, whether it's been for impact or, you know, just building economies around projects. Can you guys speak a little bit about the community and what it means? Okay, <laughs> any one of you. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in kind of rewinding there there's this there's a platform called discord discord is essentially like a slack or uh, aol instant messenger i don't know how much everybody knows but it's a big community everybody gets together and in 2017 right after the the cryptopunks project launched cryptopunks project is 10,000 unique 8-bit cartoons faces uh that uh are represented on the blockchain as an nft or quasi nft um a, a community was built then with about 20, 30 people on a regular basis nerding out about this weird project of 10,000 pieces that everybody was just kind of like early on and kind of feeling this weird energy because this is where this all kind of started. Over the course of those four years, we've gone from 30 people, 100 people, maybe a whole week with not a single comment in that chat and then a couple of days where it was just like day after, you know, like comments every minute to a community of about 20, 25,000 people where there hasn't been silence in that conversation for at least six months. I mean, not 
one moment when someone isn't typing. And what that means is that you have this individuality that's associated with owning something that's unique, um, a shard of the artist's vision, a shard of this NFT madness that's kind of happening. And people talk about that and they share it and they describe what it means to them and they, they describe what it represents. I'm represented by a green zombie with a bunch of hair. Like that's kind of how people know me in this space because that's how I'm represented in the And that community, I don't know that has existed to that degree before. I, I'm not a historian. I just think what we're experiencing is something different and, and disruptive um, from a human standpoint, something that we can all kind of belong. Now belonging to the NFT space as a CryptoPunk owner could cost anywhere between one hundred and six hundred thousand dollars. So that level of inclusivity is gone, right? I mean, it's like if you had it, you had it. But there's projects that come around every day that allow a new level of inclusivity, a new level of originality, and 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 I think there's something really special there that goes beyond the value of these JPEGs that are just selling for a lot of money. Pre, can you talk about how community plays into a DAO and what a DAO is? I mean, yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a, a great primer. Um, you know, Discord is sort of the backbone for a lot of these uh, NFT and internet communities. So if you're ever interested in a specific um, NFT collectible or something else, there's definitely a Discord for you. And I, you know, never, when anyone asks me like how they can get involved, I just recommend like popping into the Crypto Punks or Artblocks Discord. So I'm just gonna plug that for you guys right now. Um, on the DAO side, I mean, that sounds complicated. It stands for Decentralized Autonomous um, Organization. You know, Open Law, launched uh, uh, Flamingo, which is this NFT collective I was speaking about in the introduction in September of 2020. There's about, I think, 67 different members now, including G Money and Snowfro here. Um, the membership really, you know, there's an active Discord community for Flamingo. We have weekly calls where we talk about different NFT collectibles, uh, develop thesis and strategy around specific NFTs. Uh, you know, pop into different communities. And what's really nice about these DAO structures, um, and just to kind of background on what a DAO is, I kind of skipped over that. It's a way for all of these members of this DAO to pool together their capital and then self-govern through on-chain proposal processes and then proposals to dis like really distribute these strategies or allocate capital to these strategies. Um, you know, so they, Flamingo as a collective, owns about 220 punks. They own I want to say over a thousand art blocks, um, and you know, but beyond that, again, like digital land, uh, they've invested in several uh, uh, NFT-related projects as well, and so it's just like this wide swath where they have decided to allocate a per, like a certain percentage of of their capital into these uh, different categories, um, and so that when you're speaking to communities, is really really important. Um, and it's a really interesting way for these members to kind of cut through the noise of Twitter and the internet and maybe some of these other discords and just come together and rally around specific projects that they're really excited about. One of the things I love about the space is really just the innovation and the disruption um, that happens in the space. You know, if we take a look at DeFi, you know, DeFi, I think, really came out of a frustration in finance, which is good for this panel. Uh, NFTs, to me, kind of carried on that same ethos. And you know the disruption I'm talking about is obviously returns uh, in DeFi and you know existing gallery systems and NFTs. Do you want to talk about that initial disruption? And yeah, so um, you know I, I think what really attracted me to the NFT ecosystem at first was, you know, if you have this view um, of assets going digital long term, 
uh, you want to be owning NFTs, right? Because everything in the real world is an NFT, right? So everything is non-fungible except for cash. So when I think about it through that lens and I think about the future and I think about the way things are headed, um, I'll give you like a little anecdote. On the first day of quarantine last year, I bought a PlayStation. I hadn't played a video game in over 10 years. <laughs> I download Fortnite. I start playing Fortnite uh, with my friends and their 12-year-old nephews. And the first thing these kids ask is, what skins did you buy? And I'm like, skins? I'm like, they don't give me any special powers. Like, there's no way I'm spending $8 on a skin. Fast forward, like, two or three weeks later, I'm buying every skin I could possibly <laughs> get my hands on. And so, like, it was then, and this is before I knew what an NFT was. This was in March, April of, uh, of 2020. And it was then that I was like, that kid today is 12 years old. Ten years from now, he's going to have his own discretionary income. And he's going to be totally okay with owning an asset in a totally digital form. It doesn't need to be physical. So there's going to be this massive super cycle here over the next 10 to 20 years where more things will be coming in a digital format. So when I found NFTs, it started making sense to me right away, right? Where it's like, you know, here you can totally own an asset. It's provable on chain with this immutable ledger, which is the essence of blockchain. And you can have this ownership structure. So as I, as I started formulating a thesis around NFTs, I was like, well, I think that there's this massive super cycle over the long term. And NFT art and NFT assets will be one of the first ones that will be taking advantage of this. I think going along those same lines and thinking about curation, you know, one of the things that's also been really amazing is the ability for art blocks or Christie's or even you, Justin, with the twin flames to really take, you know, not just taste and, and perspective on an artist, but the ability to select those artists and support them. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about that and maybe quantum as well? I'd like to talk a little bit more about how Jima and I connected through the Discord that um, Snowfro was discussing earlier. And that conversation led to not only my work being collected by a whole plethora of new new age crypto art collectors, but creating a public art exhibition around the art we are talking about. And I think it's important to recognize that without these communities we're creating online and integrating it in person in the public space. And I think that's a place where I like to spend my time is bridging the worlds of physical and digital and how we get our online community in a space like we are here all together right now. And it's as simple as the art leading the way, inspiring us to work together and create um, a public art exhibition like G-Money and I have, have curated uh, through my nonprofit called Save Art Space. The show is called Pixelated. And we did three cities. We crowdfunded through the punk um, collectorship. And I think that alone, seeing collectors band together for art, for the community, for the artists, was probably a, the most impactful thing to witness because when have you seen Picasso collectors or you know um, Francis Bacon collectors get together and say, let's, let's do public art around this as a, as a unit? No, they're all putting in their vaults or they're putting in their, their homes. So I think the online distribution brought us together as not only friends and collectors and par business partners, but you know we're building the space out as we move forward and I think it's incredible what just one online conversation can can bring about. And we're here today because of this. Like, I met all these people, these amazing uh, um, trailblazers in the space through that one Discord. I think it's magic. 
what community can achieve if you just have the conversation with the person sitting next to you or, or the screen name you see. And I think that one conversation could change your lives. It's changed mine. You stole my joke. I was going to say nobody gets together from the Mark Rothko fan club to do a, an exhibition in the streets <laughs> when, when a big Rothko comes to market. That's how Justin and I met. Justin contacted Christie's when, when we announced we were selling the CryptoPunks from the collection of Larva Labs in our evening sale. Um, and Justin and Save Art Space did incredible work to realize this vision of the, the punks invading New York City um, through public advertisement. Um, and that was incredible. I mean, Justin and Save Art Space and, and G Money helped to promote this sale in a really impactful and important way. And that just never happens with, with any other artist. One of the things that's really interesting and I'm actually curious about is how hard was it to sell Christie's on doing the crypto punks because i mean christie's been around since what 1760 yeah and <laughs> you know follow up to that is is how impactful is that for the nft space does that validate the piece as real art mm. i mean not that it isn't real art yeah so punks punks was was easy because it was after beeple beeple was a little trickier uh because that was the first art that doesn't exist that we sold um, and I think that the the timing was was really crucial because we we got this opportunity towards the end of the first round of the pandemic, I guess, um, in the, the beginning of this year. And we had spent the last six or eight months doing a lot of things for the first time. So doing something for the first time is no longer scary. Usually Christie's is a very risk averse company. Um, but it was actually surprisingly simple to get this uh, across the finish line. And I think it was especially attractive because of the opportunity to take cryptocurrency for payment. That was actually the way that I, that I wrapped up the entire uh, opportunity for the business um, to review. We're selling this asset um, that is non-traditional. It, it doesn't technically have a physical representation. <laughs> um, so you don't have to photograph it. You don't have to take care of it. You don't have to insure it. That's all good. Uh, and we can take cryptocurrency for payment because I knew there were certain executives who were really curious about this and, and definitely very many of our top clients are really curious about when we were going to step into the, the cryptocurrency fray. So taking ETH uh, for that NFT um, was really the way that we that we moved it all forward. And now you're doing a collaboration with Artblocks. Um, you know, how does that come about where you make a decision on what you're going to collaborate on? What's coming next? So art block, the art blocks consignment is coming from the uh, collection of a guy who goes by the the gnome de guerre Barcella in in Canada, um, and most of the the uh, works in the consignment were minted directly from the smart contract. Um, so that's actually really a collaboration between Christie's and and Barcella. Um, but I'm working directly with Eric and and art blocks to help to promote this consignment. We did a, a after dinner mints uh, episode recently, which is Snow Bros and Art Blocks. Uh, weekly is it weekly every Sunday night. Uh, every single week week oh. and talk about community right weekly uh, podcast live podcast video session I guess with the people um, so that's the new paradigm it's it's really about engagement and having a constant connection and a meaningful organic true connection to your audience did it feel like a validation when Sotheby's did the board apes uh, I'm not going to talk about Sotheby's board apes <laughs> <laughs> Considering you you did it first, it's okay. Well, hey, no, it's look, I a hundred and one in one lot is a lot. That's all I'm gonna say. I'd rather focus on on one ape at a time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so let's 
I mean, obviously, this is an audience of finance people. Let's talk now a little bit about, you know, NFTs as an asset class and, and where we see it going in finance. And that might be a good good one for you to start on. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the things uh, to me that I always I found interesting right from the start, like I said earlier, is that if everything in the real world is an NFT, uh, that means you can bring everything on chain. Right. So as I was thinking about that, I'm like, OK, great. Like as I look 10, 20 years into the future, besides just, let's say, this massive super cycle of younger kids growing up and being OK with digital ownership. What happens if we bring, you know, financial products on chain, right? Where the ma the market cap is massive. What happens if we bring uh, mortgages on chain, right? You're not going to bring mortgages on chain tomorrow, right? Because there's trillions of dollars of assets there. But you know, you need to kind of get that that total uh, that TVL, the total value, locked up, so that um, the chains prove themselves and they prove that they have that security. And then over time, as people feel more comfortable with the security of all these assets you will be bringing stuff on chain, right? Like what is a mortgage? A mortgage is an NFT. What is a house? A house is an NFT. So as those things come on chain, right, you're going to have this massive opportunity where these products uh, and these protocols are being built today to support the art market and collectibles and things that we know and understand as humans. But then long term, right, you're going to be getting all these assets that are coming, right? And that to me is like a really interesting part from an investor standpoint. You know, like I spent, 20 years in traditional finance and to me like looking at nfts i'm like wow like this is you know much the same way if you look at like the global gdp and you take a look at the finance sector and what percentage is that of gdp like DeFi is going to be an important part to nfts but nfts to me is the major market right nfts definitely has a broader appeal so it, it impacts so much more um you know generative art's been around since the 60s and we talk a lot about on-chain and off-chain um, and I'm not sure that everyone understands that, so we might want to, you know, just explain that a little bit. But we really saw the acceleration in sales, I believe, with anything that was on-chain. A lot of the great art that is sadly off-chain may not have the same impact. Um, is there a reason? Well, to touch on the concept of on-chain, so we we say the word on the phrase on-chain all the time, and what that basically means is that the information relevant to the asset in this case, an NFT, is stored on the blockchain um, versus not stored. So with an NFT, you can't actually put a home inside of the Ethereum off -chain, uh, blockchain. So it's considered an asset represented by a token, and the token is represented on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, in, the, in the art world, uh, a traditional NFT is stored as an image on a decentralized infrastructure in general called IPFS, Interpenetrary File Storage, um, that is not a blockchain. It is a source of information that can be uh, managed and uploaded to by anybody, but it's not on the blockchain. What's on the blockchain is the actual proof of ownership based on cryptographic hash of the information that's on IPFS. So sorry if I'm kind of losing you guys here, <laughs> but it's a, it's a little bit complex. But the point being is that even though there's a lot of commentary about like you know stuff like uh, art not being on chain, no matter what, you can still prove that you own it. Even if these other sources and these infrastructure places go down, you can still prove that you own that digital photograph and that digital image um, with information that's stored on chain. And really, at that point, it's your job to when you buy a ten thousand dollar piece of art that's not stored on chain for you to also put it on a thumb drive, maybe put it in a safe, like. If I go to a gallery and I buy a piece of art, I'm not just going to like 
shove it in a box. I'm going to be very careful with it. I'm going to put it on my wall. And that responsibility lies within the NFT space as well. Uh, what um, he's alluding to with like on-chain art is essentially all of the information or most of the information necessary to reproduce an image actually lives on the Ethereum blockchain, which is beautiful, but incredibly limiting as well. So in, in many cases, what I specialize in is generative art. Um, our blocks is a platform that enables generative art to be created and managed on-chain. Uh, there's something really special to me about it being on-chain and to a lot of the community that participates, but it's not the same. It's not like a one is better than the other. It's just two different technical qualities of NFTs that are can be discussed. Sorry if I totally lost you there. I don't know if that does that kind of cover. I, th I think I think that does. And and you know the other thing is when we talk about chains, you know we're primarily talking about Ethereum right now. Even though we're seeing, you know, noise being made from Solana or smart chain, you know the you know the Binance stuff. So can we talk about you know the differentiation with Ethereum? Obviously, there's whale culture that exists with Ethereum that drives a lot of these prices. And, you know, how are other chains going to impact it? And how important is Ethereum in the ecosystem? Anybody else want to take that? I mean, <laughs> to me, Ethereum is the gold standard. It's where I claim my CryptoPunks. It's where I've been for the last four years. It does not mean that something not on Ethereum is not going to be successful. It's just where, um, you know, it is, Ethereum is the Christie's, right? Of, <laughs> of the blockchains and so yeah there's many other i'm sure auction houses so, wait, i think when when good art starts appearing on solana it's, it's going to change the <laughs> conversation but for right now i mean it's it's really just copy and paste what we already have on on the ethereum blockchain so the, until that changes then there's this this conversation is a little irrelevant i think solana is is a great chain for for DeFi, but right now for nfts as far as i can tell um there's some room for improvement so yeah so as like as a collector right like one of the things that I always tell artists that are coming on chain is like, well, drop it on Ethereum, right? Like if there's a certain sense of um, gravitas with it, right? It's like branding, right? It's like if you're going to go on a side chain, like you could be like the world's best artist, but there is some sort of branding that goes around with it, right? Like if you're selling a piece for $10,000 or more, a couple thousand dollars, like do the $100 of minting costs necessarily matter? Not really in the long run, right? No, and, and for me, it's even something else. I mean, I, I take a look at DeFi and what they did in DeFi is they made markets. You know, these are market makers and it's exactly what has happened with NFTs. So when we talk about someone buying the floor, you know, because at the end of the day, these are also financial instruments, um, that can't happen without the whale culture that exists in Ethereum. And I think a lot of the other chains don't have that. So can we speak about, you know, some of the whales and I won't call them out, you know, that might buy the floor and we see the prices move. Can, that's a good one for you. <laughs> um, you want to talk about people buying the floor? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, it's just like a financial asset, right? Like, it's like if you want to deploy money into a, a project, right? It's like you could buy something either at the really high end or you can buy something uh, that's a floor, the cheapest ones, and those are generally more liquid, right? If you buy something at the really high end, when you do go to sell it, you know, you might need an auction house to sell it. You might need, you know, you, you won't get instant liquidity when you choose to sell it. I think I'm talking about buying the floor wide, you know, buying many pieces and it actually moves the price. Sweeping the floor. Yeah. No, sweeping I, I the mean, floor. yeah, I, it, it definitely happens, right? But I, like, yeah. I think the mindset Thanks, is, right, for sweeping the floor is, like, I want to be able to, let's say, if I want to get 10, right, 
Uh, I want to be able to sell them on the way up, you know, like kind of position size it and manage the, the risk. And I think that to me is like a lot of the thought process behind sweeping floors. And, and in terms of, you know, that happening, I mean, obviously it creates value for the collectors. You know, how does it impact the artists or does it? Oh, I mean, I, you know, the, the royalties, right? You know, like different, every project has a different, uh, set of royalties uh, but generally it's around somewhere between five and ten percent for the most part and so you know justin can speak to that you know like he yes. uh, i when we spoke i remember he came to me and he sold a hundred of his photos for half an eve each um and mm. they sold out what in a week maybe like three days in three days and now you know you get you have a ten percent royalty ten percent royalty ten percent royalty what was the last sale like two million dollars yeah <laughs> You know, and and that was a thousand dollars to the original sale. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like as an artist, like what I mean, royalties for me as an artist is the key, most important part about NFTs in general, because it's doing something that the traditional art world has lacked for living artists forever. Um, and now the artists get to take their power back. And I think that's the most game-changing aspect about, about, like, yes, the financial tools are great, the liquidity is amazing, but I think as an artist, as a consumer and a user and act, an activist for it, it's like the royalties like saved my life and changed my life and brought a whole new self-sustainability that I could only have dreamed of, but this new technology is literally the caretaker for artists to finally do their job and create art for, for humanity and, and not um, struggle or, or be in debt like this allows you to propel and and be abundant and I think this is why I got into NFTs is simply because there's a royalty aspect and seeing it play out and and receiving royalties is is like changes your whole perspective and once you understand that you you realize how important it is for not only in this moment with NFTs but for art moving forward forever like this is the new standard for artists signing contracts and smart contracts it's like if you're not getting a royalty you don't do the job you don't make the art yeah there was a huge controversy about secondary market royalties in 2019 2020 and you know somebody just put it very simply and i can't say this enough uh nfts are allowing artists to participate in their own success hmm. period that has never existed in the traditional art world and that now exists on a weekly payout basis without having to have somebody like say, oh, the check is in the, like it literally is happening. And everybody in the space is being elevated as a result of it. Uh, we're not there yet where this happens automatically. This happens automatically with some platforms, not others, people are coming around. But the important part is that the precedent has been set and it's being abided to for some massive sales. So my best friend sold a NFT the other day for about $6 million and he just turned around, he did it in a private sale and he turned around and sent 5% to the artist, which is the standard for art blocks, two and a half percent to art blocks. The platform is participating in its own success. The artist is participating in their own success. And what that does is it brings joy to the people selling the piece to a degree. Like it almost, like you can be proud, not shy or like, you know, awkward with the artists. Like, oh man, I just sold your piece. Like I just sold your piece and I just sent you $300,000 because I sold your piece. And 
it's special. It sounds really crazy. I think there's no way that if you guys aren't totally ingrained in NFTs that this doesn't sound totally crazy. I think everything that we're saying has to sound crazy, especially to anybody that's educated. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it is. It's just it's like as I think the more educated you are, the harder it is to just kind of really want to understand what's happening here. But I, I just encourage people just to take a step back and, and understand that everything that you've learned about community and art and intuition is is changing here uh and it, it, give it a chance and, and, and give it a shot because it's really special um on so many different levels i really want to say oh sorry oh i'm just gonna say for the record i'm all for it for for artist resale i think it's 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 very much uh overdue um and probably the traditional art world um needs to give artists a lot more credit than they than they normally do i mean we we wouldn't exist if it weren't for artists so the idea that artists don't deserve to participate in their success, the idea that they weren't already participating in their success is really upsetting to me. That's part of why I gravitated towards NFTs. Because this stuff, I feel like there's a utopian edge to everything that we're talking about, or utopian capability or a possibility. Um, and if I can help to you know, push it forward, um, then I'm all for that. But when Christie's secondary market royalties. So <laughs> I, I say that joking. I, I spoke to Barcella, who was actually going to manually pay you go, each see? of the artists. Yes. Yeah. So this this is the new this is the new paradigm. My my clients are not going to great lengths to avoid compensating the artists. They are going to great lengths to to compensate them That's to amazing. do the thing that people used to you know try to not do. So innovations often have kind of pushback from traditional infrastructures you know i read something that gagosian had put out you know being kind of vehemently against nfts i used to intern there what's that i used to intern at larry's uh shop so you know the question is is well you probably got a call from larry how, how do you balance you know the innovations that you want to do and and you know the way it moves forward when you're getting pushback from you know these galleries that have the biggest artists in the world uh controversial maybe hot take but I, I think that those galleries that run the world are probably going to not run the world soon and the people who will run the world have the mindset that that g money was describing i mean my entree my accidental entree to nfts was also Fortnite, and <laughs> i uh i end up in this this position where i'm trying to explain the appeal of nfts to the old guard frequently given i'm i'm a specialist at christie's uh, I was recently giving a talk in in Aspen to people who had never heard of NFTs before, trying to wrap their mind around it, and I used the Fortnite example. And uh, the 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 guy I was engaging with in the audience in the Q and A was like, "Oh, so so this is something that like kids are into, right?" And he said in a really uh, you know uh, kind of cynical way, and I, I said, "Yeah, and do you know what kids turn into, right?" <laughs> and there was this really awkward moment where he's like, "Oh, yeah, so they're gonna they they're gonna want this stuff." This is what people want going forward. We hear a lot about it being a bubble. We've seen a pullback over the last handful of days. You know, I mean, what do you say to to people who say it's a bubble pre? Why don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I firmly disagree. I feel like we're just kind of getting going. Of course, I'm a bit biased here. Um, you know, Flamingo as a community, you know, it's right now 67 people. We've constantly are getting um emails and individuals wanting to join this collective of people that are collecting nfts um there's actually several DAOs that are 
spinning out of Flamingo. Um, you know, some of the membership is overlapping, but it's really to harness certain subcategories of NFTs. So, uh, for example, we have one um, that's going to be focused on the metaverse and buying digital land and building up the digital and almost like a virtual real estate uh, collective, if you will. Um, we have something that's, you know, in the gaming space, there's these games that are kind of dubbed play to earn. Um, and so you play them and you can earn real money for playing these games. And, you know, it's definitely mobilizing people in developing countries and all over the world. So setting up a guild for that. Um, I mean, there's you talked about possibly shared ownership over a specific NFT. Like there's this alien punk that we have, which we actually, you know, uh, purchased back in January and, and um, are thinking about almost giving the community to uh, giving that to the community through a DAO structure where they can kind of decide the fate of this uh, uh, NFT and decide like whether or not it should be, you know, a podcaster or like a real character in the metaverse. Um, and so thinking about beyond just collecting NFTs and, you know, it is a bubble is, I guess, in my view, a little bit simplistic just because there's so much energy around this community that we discussed. In, you know, and there's so many more innovations happening around specific NFTs and, and NFT subcategories. I mean, every single week on crypto Twitter or through Flamingo Dow, I'm hearing about a new incredible um, NFT. And so I think people are thinking really critically about this. Like, for example, I mean, you know, it's really still a pretty young, I guess, as far as like, I mean, the technology itself isn't that new. I guess it's been around for a couple of years. But as far as like the mainstream institutional interest in nfts like through the auction houses and elsewhere um i think we're really just getting going so yeah it could be like a short term you know I, and there's a lot of it's commemorative to the price of eth at a given moment so some people might want to be you know liquid they see the price of eth going up so they're like well let me sell an nft right now and that drops the floor price for a couple nfts so you know there's some mechanic between the price of ETH and and uh, the price of an NFT oftentimes. Sometimes that doesn't affect certain collectibles. Ooh. Anyone else to, want to touch on the bubble? Uh, yeah, to, to build on what Pre said is, you know, I, I agree. I think, you know, when price action escalates quickly, it's because there's a good narrative there, right? It's because people are getting excited. But like more, more so than that is like if when people tell me, oh, this is a bubble or whatever, you know, to me, like the way I look at the world uh, is everything's in a bubble right now, right? I can make a case, you know, that the S&P 500 is in a bubble. Mm -hmm. So to me, when I take a look at NFTs and I take a look at like every asset class and as an asset allocator, right, as, as somebody that positions my money uh, for myself, um, of course I want to be long NFTs, right? Because NFTs give me the most convexity on the upside, right? To me, being long, you know, art blocks, being long a punk is the same exact trade as being long the S&P 500. But if I'm right, I'm going to get paid better, right? Because there's only a limited amount of quality, uh, quantity. Um, there's a much smaller market. But to me, it's like, you know, to people saying that's in a bubble, I mean, you can thank, you can thank your central bankers, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we got about, a little more than 20 minutes left. I wanted to open it up to questions because I'm sure there are some. Um, I don't know if there's a mic out there. If not, just stand up and ask.
Oh, I have, I have a funny answer to that one. I got a, a a cold email from the the IRS, like Karen at the IRS.gov uh, <laughs> during during the Beeple sale. Um, but I, I just forwarded it to the lawyers, <laughs> so I don't know. But they're they're definitely interested. That's what the email said. We are interested in NFTs. Yeah, after the Beeple sale, I'm sure. Dur- yeah, right. During yeah, during the bidding when the bidding was like at 13 million, I think was when we got that email. Wow. Anyone else want to touch on the tax question, or should we? Move? Um, I mean, I, I'm based out of Puerto Rico, so <laughs> <laughs> I should be based out of Puerto Rico too, I guess. Uh, you know, the the tax question is going to kind of overlap with the uh, KYC question as well. You know, and kind of people revealing who they are. There's this kind of theme in crypto where there's a relative anonymity for three, four years. Uh, three years, I was this green crypto punk. Uh, went by Snowfro. Now my name is out there and I feel like I can um, act like a normal, like a normal human. Uh, but I miss very much my, very much my, my internet persona. But yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot of tax implications. There's some things that are actually pretty wild. Like for example, in some countries, um, there's a maximum to how much you can donate to charity. And so with, for example, with our blocks, we are cognizant of kind of how intense things have been uh, with the platform and are helping artists divert money to charity. So like we're a nine month old organization that has facilitated $28 million to charitable contributions in the last nine months. Um, And what that means is that the artist might be like, this is stuff that's actually breaking stuff. Like the artist might receive $3 million to give because they made $15 million in three minutes on a drop (laughs) on our box. Um, But there's a maximum amount of contributions that they can make without actually having to be taxed for it. And so they're actually being taxed on the amount of money that they were going to give to charity. Uh, in, in some countries, their accountants, governments are asking for letters saying, where is this money coming from? Like, it just seems like such an absurd amount of money. Uh, and there's some really serious tax implications kind of involved there because if they can't get an accountant because the accountant doesn't want to do the work because they don't have a really legitimate way of proving who made this purchase. And in the crypto space, nobody knows who made the purchase. It's just a bunch of numbers. There's some there's some kind of concern there, and then finally, once you get into a point where you're regularly selling something for a pretty big chunk of money, the IRS says, "I don't really care if it's crypto or not. We want we want to know who these buyers are." And so, for tax implications and also just KYC implications, so it's all very very um, as a platform scary. But we have incredible regulators, uh, people that come from regulation that we get to work with on a regular basis and consult with, and we're we're just going to be proactive. That's the best that we can do. We can't actually take any measures because we don't know what those measures are. We actually, the clarity is not there. So we're just being as proactive as we possibly can and as you know, transparent as we possibly can in anticipation of the government kind of coming in and saying, hey, like, you know, we need more, we need more information. Uh, and, and I think in a year, just a year from now in this conference, the conversation, there will be a much more direct answer. And I think mm. the conversation, like a whole panel could exist specifically on taxation principles in the NFT. What about the regulatory concerns you just brought up? I mean, when we look at tokenization, you know, that's clearly uh, security. Do you have any regulatory concerns at all, you know, being a platform? We don't have regulatory concerns in terms of securities because we are, I mean, as weird as it is, like we are just selling art, but we are starting to get to a point in dollar value of initial sales where it does start becoming a little bit more scary. So uh, again, we're just going to be very proactive. And uh, ultimately, you know, KYCing inside the crypto space is like that one, just like you just don't do it. 
But if we're forced to do it, we're going to do it. I mean, we're not, I'm not shutting down art blocks because of some, you know, dogma of, of everybody having to be anonymous. Like I'm not like I'd rather, if we lose 80% of our market, we lose 80% of our market, but we're going to comply because we think we're doing something that will transcend crypto. That's our target. I get to talk about that all the time and to transcend crypto if it's required to KYC and for people to know who they are, then that's what's going to be required. But we're not just going to jump into doing it for fun. Like I don't want people's data. I don't want to be responsible for anybody's information as long as I possibly can avoid it. And I, I would just like to add on the Dow side, um, you know, with Flamingo, everything is really, you know, compliant. We make sure everything's above board. So on the KYC side, on the tax side, um, you know, it is a limited liability company based in the U.S. Um, because it is for profit, everyone has to be accredited. Uh, we get all the proper requisite information, um, just mailed the annual K-1s last week. So in some sense, like joining a DAO could mutualize some of those concerns, which is great. I actually didn't know you did all that. So that's... Yeah, it's fun. Wyoming. <laughs> oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. I I sold Beeple and I also sold Warhol like a month afterwards, so it already happened. <laughs> but I loved the Beeple sale; it was really fun. Um, I thought it was an incredible price, and it sent a message to the 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 world that what artists are doing in in NFTs and and virtual art um, is really meaningful and valuable. But we sold; we already did Warhol. Uh, Damien Hurst has a. Right. a collection of NFTs called the Currency. Tom Sachs has a really successful collection of NFTs. Uh, his Rockets. Um, so we're, we're already seeing that in real time. Yeah. I flew out here for the rocket launch. It was fun. Yeah. Um, the global appeal is something that also really kind of, you know, creates impact around the sales. I mean, are we seeing, you know, when we list a people versus a Warhol, for instance, you're having a wider appeal with the people, right? Just based on the way it's been brought up and presented into the marketplace. That's actually a question. So the, the, the people sale very much spoke to a specific new audience, uh, new to Christie's audience. It's actually a very established and sophisticated audience in and of itself, which is why I've, I've just dove into this. Um, but for people, we had more than 40 bidders place bids, uh, something like 48 or 49. And there were 20 bidders above a million dollars, um, which is amazing. Um, but only three of those 40 plus bidders were previously known to Christie's. So everyone else is brand new. That kind of shift is, is just insane. We never see those numbers in any category ever. And especially for a nearly $70 million purchase is just kind of staggering. So, but with Warhol, when we did the Andy Warhol machine made NFTs, um, we did see more engagement from the traditional fine art world. Three of the five lots in that sale went to established collections. Two went to, to new NFT crypto collectors, um, but three went to, to people we've done business with previously. So we went from three people placing bids out of 50 in Beeple um, to three out of five of the lots in the Warhol sale going to the old hmm. world blue chip fine art collecting scene. So yeah, you're, you're seeing uh, a shift in, in real time too. Go ahead. Oh boy, I can answer that one. <laughs> um, so my perception on that is we just haven't got there yet with music. And 
you know, when you have labels and publishers as rights holders, it's incredibly difficult to license content. So that puts musicians in a place of either owning the content outright so they can do things with it in terms of NFTs um, or do something that isn't music related. There's a whole bunch of complexity around that. And I also think the audience, and you guys might disagree, you know, they're not 100% focused just on pure music NFTs right now. I think when we get into sharding um, and creating these other initiatives around those music NFTs, we'll, we'll see kind of uh, more of a demand. I mean, you guys. Or, well, I mean, I think we'll also see a lot with with uh, with Blau, with with Royal, with the platform that he's yeah. developed. So I don't know if you're familiar with with Blau and and his album sale by NFT, but he also recently just announced uh, the creation of a platform called Royal, which will allow artists to basically sell futures of for their careers. If you love an artist, um, I, I like to use the example of. Nirvana, because when Nirvana became super popular, a lot of their initial fans resented that they were seen as sellouts, right? But Royal, what they're proposing is to allow the audience to also share in an artist's success. So instead of leaving the concert and buying a t-shirt at the merch booth, you can buy a token. And based on when you buy that token, you potentially can can profit off the artist's success. Um, so that's, a, to my understanding, part of what Blau is trying to do with Royal. Um, and I think it's one of the more innovative and exciting projects in the, the music NFT space so far. I, I think my, my kind of point on that is, you know, then you start to see the, the regulatory stuff kick in. Yep. Um, and that's going to be complicated. And the thing that's so great about Blau, Blau and RAC and all those guys is they were part of the crypto community kind of yeah. way before. And it shows the impact of being part of the community. And I think back to your question, you know, when you have an artist that, um, comes in to try to do an NFT. And I don't know about you guys, but like when the NFTs for, first started really hitting, every artist in the world wanted to do one of these things because everyone wanted to make a million bucks for a yeah. song. And, um, you know, I, I think that's where some of the problems are going to come in. Um, Um, so thank you for the question. I think that's really relevant uh, compared to stuff that's been going on over the last couple of days. The, um, I, I don't have anything against NFTs on other side chains, right? The thing that I've seen with Solana projects for the most part, like I think Solana monkey business is great. I love the artwork. But like what I've seen is a lot of copycat projects, right? Like Solana punks, uh, board ape punks. I don't Solana know what they're apes. called. Yeah, like wh whatever they're called, right? That's just copy and paste. Right. So to me, that kind of like unless people within the Solana ecosystem can kind of self-regulate themselves, like I'll use Tezos as a great example. Right. Like there's a lot of great art on Tezos. Right. Like there's a big collector's community going around Tezos because artists are going there like high quality artists. I think 
the the advantages that Solana has is obviously you know backed by SBF, right? Like you you know you have the, your your fiat on wraps, which is going to make stuff much easier. But I think you need to bring the talent, right? And so to me, it's like I'm by no means a maxi for for ETH NFTs, but like as a collector before, you know, I wasn't first to punks, you know, like I was, you know, I, I bought punks a year ago, right? But like to me, it's like what do I see with regards to creativity and community and and stuff like that? Like interestingly enough, I I think I reached out to uh, Monkey Dow uh, literally yesterday or the day before, right? Because I'm interested in it. Uh, I haven't made a decision yet, but it's interesting. I, th I think, you know, the other thing we, we should touch on is the fact that, you know, when ETH launched, Consensus did a really good job creating, you know, development on top of the chain. I mean, you have, you know, such an kind of outweighed proportion, you know, in, you know, in terms of just development um, on Solana versus something like ETH. Uh, so, I mean, those other guys got to catch up before they see the scale. Right? I also... Yeah. Oh, wait, go ahead. No, I was just going to totally agree. I think the answer to the question of what we were touching on earlier about ETH is just the developer community there, the solidity language, everything there is just so far along in development that that's, I think, what we were noting tor towards more before. Um, I, you know, Solana, I kind of agree the copy and pasta thing is kind of, <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, Tezos is... I thought like I, we touched on that, but you know, the digital art community on Tezos, I think is like brilliant. And I think there's actually several people buying on Tezos um, since there's a lot of similar artists, both on ETH and Tezos and Tezos is a bit less. So it's almost like an arbitrage opportunity for mm. a few people as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I mean, ETH is a starting point for sure. I just want to like, sorry for hurting Solana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I don't think it, hurting Solana should even be relevant here. Like, Ethereum has been around for this many years, and I think that they have to prove themselves. And so, there's I am very much an ETH maximalist. However, anybody in this space that could be closed off to innovation of any sort is is completely counterproductive to the reason why we have had success in this yeah. space. So, there's a couple things. Number one, Solana has trade-offs in terms of decentralization, which will eventually be addressed as the chain grows. But that is a very real trade-off. Ethereum is significantly more decentralized than Solana at the time being. In exchange for that, you get millions of transactions per second. That's fantastic. On our blocks, our problem is not trying to be able to handle millions of transactions per second. We are, however, interested in potentially having the minting of an art blocks piece happen on Solana, while the provenance exists on Ethereum layer one. So we believe at least that each blockchain will have a really good solid use case and we will use each blockchain blockchain for each specific use case that it offers mm -hmm. and i think the friction is so high right now for new people entering this space and understanding what a gas fee is and purchasing something and it costs you more than a meal just to pay the network to process your transaction because that's what it's like on ethereum and that's not what it's like on Solana, but that friction is already really high. And understanding MetaMask, which is the plugin that everybody uses to operate on Ethereum, is really high. And then asking that person that has decided to dive in to also try to wrap their brain around a whole nother blockchain <laughs> and potentially another extension and understanding that they're transacting on, it's just too much. So Solana is going to have to prove itself. I believe in Solana. I have a couple of projects that I'd like to see happen on Solana. Right now, 
there's a knockoff of my own project <laughs> called Soul Squiggles that literally is copying my code and generating 10,000 my piece of art on Solana. And it's, it's, it's literally like every project on Solana right now um, that has come across my desk has been a, a knockoff. And I know that they're not all like that, but it just feels, it just feels well. Having said that, Noah, I mean, in the traditional art world, I mean, you can look at Warhol and anyone else. I mean, it, it, the greatest compliments of derivative work from an artist. <laughs> so, I mean, that, I mean, you can argue that CryptoPunks having so many like derivative works, you know, elevated CryptoPunks. I totally agree. 100%. Yeah. So it's the derivative difference versus derivative and straight up just like carbon copy. That's where it kind of feels. I feel kind of naked on Solana just because my project is out there without my signature. But. Yeah, it, it it also is not using appropriation as a uh, as a conceptual technique. It's really just about securing the bag, and that is not cool. No, that's not Solana artsy. will be. There's internal conversations, and we believe that Solana will be one of very few competing layer one blockchains that will be around in five years and ten years. So. I, nothing against Solana, but it has it needs to work its way up. It, much work has gone into Ethereum for another one to come in and within the first year start saying, "Well, what about me?" Like, no, like let us get there, you know. And, and that's that's my stance. It, it could be the Pepsi to the Coke. There will be a Pepsi. Oh yeah, yeah, there will. Be. Go ahead. So, uh, so yeah, I'll I'll take that. Like I, I think it's gonna happen slowly, right? Over time, and then suddenly, right? Like that's that's something we always use slowly, then suddenly. Um, I think the real advantage to that, right, is to having stuff on chain. And like every time we have a massive drawdown in crypto, I love it, right? Because it just makes us more anti-fragile, right? In May, we had a fifty percent drawdown, and nobody needed to get bailed out, right? So what if I had mortgage-backed securities on chain? and they're collateralized and everything, and you have your, your counterparties and all this stuff, and then there's some seismic event that happens, and it causes a massive drawdown, and you don't need central bankers coming in, right? So that's, to me, is the advantage. Uh, you know, you're not rehypothecating a collateral. You're not, like, you don't necessarily have counterparty risk as much because it's on-chain, right? So, like, to me, that is, like, the best advantage of all, right? Like, we just had, I don't know, 20 or 30% drawdown last weekend. You know, nobody needed to get bailed out, right? People that took on a ton of leverage, for sure, you know, they lost a ton of money. But, you know, for the most part, if you're operating well in the system, you don't have to worry about losing your money, right? Which is kind of like the essence of where crypto came from, right? Like, you know, Satoshi, uh, you know, came up with Bitcoin, you know, from the depths of the financial crisis, right? So, like, to me, like, bringing these assets on chain is just, like, the, the perfect complement to that. <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh, yes 
Oh my god. <laughs> he has good taste. He has great taste. <laughs> it's just growing pains this is really happening fast for everybody here and uh, it's it's simply there's an oversubscribing towards what we have to offer and there's a limit to what we can offer and there's more people that want something than what we have to offer and our goal for example at our blocks long term is to have open projects ready for minting at any given moment in time and we just can't get there right now because things are completely batshit crazy yeah <laughs> um but we will because this is also I don't think we're in a bubble, but we're also in an unsustainable. Like, you know, somebody said the other day, if our blocks continued at its pace, it would be 10% of the entire worldwide art market. Like, no, just like Solana can't have authority in decentralization in its first year, our blocks cannot have authority in the art world in its first year. And um, so it's just going to have to calm down a little bit. We're all just kind of waiting for that to happen, really excited for it to calm down a little bit. And I promise you that there will be the ability to mint things on our blocks and other NFT platforms for 50 bucks and 100 bucks in the next in the next few months. Well, you guys are also addressing this in real time, too, with like the Dutch auction style that you've rolled out more recently. And so, I mean, that's the... the... It's completely crazy. It... Oh, it's I th I would disagree. I think it's very much doing what it's especially when there's not too much oversubscription. So like last week, both Dutch auctions ended up at the very base price. That's exactly what we need, and I'm I'm pretty not on the curated, but they also didn't drop. They didn't sell for thirty thousand dollars a piece either. But yeah, no, I mean I think we're I think we're on the right track, and there's a lot of there's just there's just a lot going on and a lot of things yeah. to address. And if and if the gas fees are high, it means that people want to use the network. So I think it's a it's a good problem to have. It's the best problem you can have because it means there are tons of people knocking at the door. For now. But there was four months where it was not. But, so that's the thing. We just have to kind of be patient. A lot of people are coming in and be like, I can't participate. And I'm like, just wait a little bit because it is, you're right. Right now, I don't I don't introduce anybody new to Artbox right now. Whereas for four months, I literally, any time I was like, check this out. For 200 bucks, you can have this piece. I don't do it. And I'm I'm the founder. So I'm not buying at these prices and I'm the founder. So, you know, we just kind of have to take a step back and understand that, that, that you know, it is going to go back to like normalcy. And if it doesn't, then we're onto something really, really, really crazy here too. But I think so. that's also one of the cool things is, you know, I'm an advisor to an NFT thing. You guys are all owners of companies. And when we go to, you know, when a drop happens, I mean, often we don't get anything. Yeah, I do. I sure do. <laughs> you know, there's been plenty of times where we couldn't get it. And, you know, on the gas fees, it's like there's enough demand with a lot of the hotter projects that the gas fees don't even matter i mean yeah people are like bumping the gas to get the art yeah i i mean well i i think with regards to user adoption right is like you just need a more consumer friendly thing right uh if you take a look at probably some of the more successful stuff in the space that brought in let's say normal people right you're looking at nba top shot nifty gateway right what do they have they have a great user experience just because we don't have that just yet doesn't mean we won't get there, right? Like the beautiful thing is we're going to get there, right? We will get there. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think we're going to have to wrap it up, but I want to thank Salt up. and the panel. What, go ahead, Justin, before, sorry. Before we wrap it up, I do want to say something, and then we can clap. Um, <laughs> I think it is important what you said about accessibility and education and onboarding. I think, you know, we're so locked up in our echo chambers, it's like second nature at this point, but for, to step back into the place of how do we create accessibility for people who can't afford a $1,000 gas war or, you know, like, I think the way to do that is to create experiences and proof of attendance things like someone one of us should have created a proof of attendance token and gave everyone here an nft like the like the lost robbies and i think that's a great start in getting people you know a wealth redistribution of some sort through nfts and i think as we keep having conferences and events and whatnot we'll we'll have those um nfts to be given out and i think that's where you could start and Maybe it's our responsibility to onboard and educate you all as well as, you know, creating the dialogue of what what your feedback is like, hey, how do we get involved? We want to. And I think it's how do we make it more accessible where the price isn't only for the one percent. And and on top of that, I think I would love to end this conference with a positive note in saying I think NFTs and having a nonprofit organization will create a huge disruption in how nonprofits will start fundraising as an NFT as a tool, um, just from my own experience with Save Art Space and seeing how we could raise like $500,000 in three days when it took us the past five years to even accomplish that is a testament to what NFTs can achieve if you have the right audience that will back you. And we don't have to rely on donors anymore, but just projects we create that create sustainable in perpetuity value and i think we'll start seeing a lot more nonprofits creating uh wallets so they could take our crypto money <laughs> i want to um thank salt anthony and john for letting us do this and thank the panelists thank you. Thank you. <laughs>